how how would you do it? Would you where would you do it first? Let's let's think about where you would do it, right? Probably the epicenter of the world. You'd probably find the biggest city possible. God says, you get to choose where I announce salvation has come. CNN. Just kidding. Fox News. I don't know. Whichever. Like something big, right? You'd, you'd pick something that has global coverage. Trumpets, Trumpets yeah. <laughs> massive, big screens everywhere, right? Laser lights, smoke machines, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You, you pick something like that. Maybe maybe you'd have somebody even more famous than myself come announce it, right? You'd have somebody come out. I don't know. Maybe the president of the United States. Maybe the uh, the Pope. I don't know. Um, no, don't frown. I'm just naming famous people. <laughs> um, maybe you'd have somebody else come out, but somebody would come to announce it, and and you. It'd, it'd be powerful, right? I mean, how would you do it? Okay, where would you do it? Maybe Vox News, maybe CNN, maybe on the news station, maybe, maybe in the biggest city in the world. Um, what time of day would you do it? Would you do it at noon when everybody's at lunch? Would you do it at 5 o'clock in the afternoon? You know, when uh, Bill Clinton was in office, he released all his press releases at prime time news hours. All his press conferences and things came at prime time. And, and it was a purposeful move on his part that had not happened before. Most other presidents released their press releases before prime time so that the news could then comment on them. But Bill Clinton didn't want comments on the press releases. He wanted you focusing on what he was saying. So he would go up at prime time and he'd start talking, and they'd have to cut into the regular news. It was brilliant. It's a brilliant strategy. Uh, presidents since then have continued to do that. They do that pretty constantly now. And when you are sitting down to watch the 6 o'clock news, you'll frequently see breaking news, president coming to address, you know, whatever, uh, when they've got something they want to say. And so they've followed that suit. And I think maybe, maybe we do the same thing. Maybe 6 o'clock news, maybe. Um, maybe you do it. At a, maybe you do it at late night talk show time. I don't know. That's when most of my generation is actually watching something. So maybe you do it at late night talk show time, and they'd they'd come on and Messiah, you know, all these. I don't know. Big loud. Some famous guy walks out. I'd like to introduce you to the King of the Universe. Um, you know, something like that. God doesn't do that. When God when God announces the Savior of the world. He does it in a random field, a bunch of smelly sheep, and probably smellier shepherds. Um, and he goes out and he announces the king of the world. God goes to shepherds. So here in verse 8 we see the start here. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So let's start here, they're shepherds, number one, which is not a high-paying position. It's not, a, it's not, at that time period, it's not necessarily even a respectable position. It's kind of minimum wage, grunt work, uh, you know, moving barrels kind of work. Like, it's the, it's, it's the grunt, grunt labor of the world at that time period. And these probably, because it's nighttime, these probably aren't. Uh, children, these, these aren't children. These probably aren't shepherds who actually own the sheep. 
These probably aren't shepherds that own the sheep. Rather, they are shepherds that um, probably are, are hired hands. They probably work underneath another shepherd, or they're the siblings of the older brother who owns the sheep. Because nobody who owns the sheep works night shift. The CEO at Dow does not work night shift. I guarantee it. He doesn't. He might have at some point in his life. I don't know him. He might have at some point in his life, but he doesn't work night shift. The management at Dow does not work night shift, and I know because the guys that work night shift who work here, if they or who come here, will tell me that they don't see the management at night shift because night shift is is when you when when you put the lowest laborers in the field. So this is this is the lowest laborer. This is the guy that's out in the field. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about the way shepherds work, but these guys are in a field in the same region outside of Bethlehem in Judea. They are not in a prominent, powerful, public place. They have sheep, and they're in a field away from everybody. There's probably a fire going. Uh, probably a fire going that they've started. They, they might have something to drink, something to eat as they're out there. This is night shift labor, so they're and they're they might be a little tipsy. I mean, they're shepherds, so they're rough men. They might be a little loose. If you understand what I mean, they might be a little loose. I bet you this is dying. Yep, it's dying. Um, I, I'll come in and out. If I go off, just do this, and I'll start yelling. Um, they they might be a little loose. I'm not gonna do it now. I just turned it back on. See, there it is, right there. Um, they might be a little bit loose. We're going to do this. How about this? They might be a little bit loose as shepherds. They might be a little bit wild. And as they are, um, as they are working the field, they might have a fire around. They might be sitting around the fire. They might be discussing things. And I don't know if you've ever been around a campfire, but, but it's fun, right? You're... You're chatting, you're relaxed, stars are out, you can see all the stars. I mean, you got the one poetic guy that's like, look at the sky and how beautiful it is. You got the other guy that's insulting the poetic guy. You got the third guy that's like, I just wanna I just wanna go home. Can we just make it through this shift together? I hate all of you, right? You've got that guy. And you've got the one guy that's overzealous. Should we go check the sheep now? Should we go check them now? No, no, they're good. How about now? I've got my staff. I've got my staff. I can go check them. Right? We've got, we've got that guy as well. So, so you've got all these, these guys around the fire, and they're all hanging out, and there's, there's sheep grazing. Sheep are annoying. They're, they're like slow dogs. And they bump you. You know, They're obnoxious, and they smell, and they want to they wanna lay on top of you. That's, sheep are that way. And so... They've, they may have pinned them, who knows, they may have built some sort of outdoor uh, pen, we don't know, but they're, they're out there in the field and there's, they're under the stars, there's, there's fire going, they're hanging out, and they're doing nothing, and God says to the angels, hey Gabriel, I assume it's Gabriel that does the announcement, it doesn't tell us, it just says an angel, but I assume it's Gabriel, he got to do the first two, so I'm thinking he gets to do the second one too, so, or the third one too, so he... He goes, hey, Gabriel. Gabriel goes, yes. It's time to tell the world. Yeah! All right. Finally, an assignment I get to be excited about. Woo! Okay, who am I going to? Am I going to Herod? Am I going to Caesar? 
I'm going to go to Caesar, right? I'm going to go to the throne room of Rome and yell at the top of the trumpets, trumpeters. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Everybody's lining up. They're all fired up. We're going to go. And God goes, shepherds. <laughs> and Gabriel goes, what? God, send me to a low-level priest. You send me to a teenage girl. Now you're sending me to those misfits over in that field. Lord, is there a different way to do this? Shepherds. I want you to go to the shepherds, Gabriel. Gabriel's like, are you, are you sure? Yes. Okay. And all of a sudden, another one pops out behind him. Can I go? Can I, can I go too? Gabriel's like, well, bro, we're going to shepherds. Yeah, I got a choir. Let's all go. And God's like, okay, you can all go, but Gabriel has to say his thing first. Okay, all right, all right. And enter the story here. The shepherds are in this field, keeping watch over their flock by night, verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, you know there was one of them who was like, what is in this wine? Right? (laughs) One of them who was like, what is going on? And the other ones were all like, ah! It says they were afraid, so they they cower. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fears. They were trembling as you would if you saw an angel in a field at night. They're in a field, again, open field with sheep, maybe a fire, stars, and an angel shows up. It's terrifying. So they're afraid. They're scared. And and God decides the way that he is going to announce the Messiah is to interrupt the lowest of low in a field. He decides he's going to interrupt the lowest of low in a field. He goes to the shepherds in this field. No one wants to be a shepherd. No one wants to be a shepherd. Everybody wants to be King David in the story. No one wants to be Shepherd Boy David. No one wants to be that guy who's in a field with a harp. Everybody wants to be the king. Everybody wants to be the giant slayer who is to be future king. No one wants to be shepherd. That's not a job people want. But the king anointed line of David is about to come to the shepherds which David was before he was king. He's about to come to the shepherds. God has always sought the lowly. I want you to hear that first. God has always sought out the lowly. The wealthy, the privileged, the rich, the educated and elite. He doesn't seek out He doesn't seem to want them half the time. Indeed, John the Baptist yells at them when they show up. They show up and he goes, who warned you to come to run from the wrath to come? As if he wanted them to burn. God seeks out instead the lowly and the broken. Isaiah 61, one that famous passage that Jesus quotes himself. He's come to bind up the broken, to heal the brokenhearted, to lift up the lowly, 
to set the prisoners free. He has come to redeem those who are broken. If you are not broken, it is incredibly difficult for you to see Christ. We must often be broken in order to know and see the glory of Jesus Christ. So the shepherds here are afraid, and rightly so. Look at what it says about them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. This word glory uh, in Hebrew is the idea of weight, and in Greek it bears the same thing. Weight, or ultimate reality, being exposed to you. So I always do this definition of glory thing. The definition of glory is the ultimate reality of something, or the accurate depiction of reality. The glory of a frog is that it's slimy, wet, and hops, right? Slimy, gross, and hops, even. So that's the glory of a frog. The glory of God is the present reality of who God is. So I want you to hear, God has this glory show up around all of the people. Can you imagine the weight of God landing on you? The weight of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but in those moments when you are in deep contemplation or reading your Bible and all of a sudden something from God hits you. Something of His character just lands on you. And you're just overwhelmed. Sometimes you cry. Sometimes you just take a deep breath and back up. Sometimes you have to take off, uh, to shut down everything just to process what God has shown you about Himself. But you just sit there dumbfounded as to what to do. When we see those moments, those little moments, they don't compare to this one. Understand what it is saying here is that these shepherds have been transported into God's presence. And they can feel it. The glory of the Lord shone around them. I used to think that that meant just a really bright light. But then as I read more and more, I realized this is not just a bright light. This is the presence of God himself. So imagine you stand before the king of kings, the ruler of all things, the creator of the earth, the creator of the universe who holds the stars in place. And he says, hi. And all of a sudden, all your sinfulness is revealed. And you know you know that you are hanging by a spider web over wrath. Yeah, I'd be afraid too. That's the point. I'd be afraid too. The glory of God, the weight of all that God is shown around them and they are pressed down by it. When Christ's character is revealed, we ought to have a little bit of fear. When the character of God is revealed, we ought to have a little bit of fear. We ought to be a little overwhelmed. Now, the, the beauty of us being overwhelmed is that we are overwhelmed in the sense that we are saved and redeemed, and we get to see how He sees us, which is covered by the righteous blood of the Lamb. These shepherds are in the field having not yet heard that truth, but knowing a Messiah would come. And they feel the weight and glory and presence of God 
in the field. Seeing Christ reveals who we are, and we are overwhelmed. Think, just think for a minute through the Old Testament times when the Old Testament men of God were approached by God himself. You have Abraham who's approached by Melchizedek, I believe to be a Christophany, but Melchizedek shows up and, and he's the high priest of God and he, uh, Abraham bows and gives him a tent right immediately. Jacob wrestles with God and, and holds on until God blesses him, but ends up with a broken hip. And he's terrified that this God was going to kill him. God doesn't because God is gracious and merciful. You've got Isaiah who stands before God and what does he say? He sees the throne room of God, looks all around, describes everything, and if you pay close attention, he's looking around the whole room and then he sees God and he drops to his face and he says, Woe to me, I'm an unclean man of unclean lips. In other words, don't kill me. Please. I can't be here. Don't, I'm not supposed to be here. Don't kill me. This is too glorious for me to be a part of. You've got Ezekiel who says the same thing. Please don't kill me, Lord. Amos who bows down before God and says, I'm unworthy of the glory of God. You've got Jeremiah who hears the message that God tells him to deliver and his response is, I'm just a kid. How can I do that? And God says, I made your mouth. I made your mouth. I'm the one that's going to do this. Not you. I made you. I'm going to do it. You've got Peter in the New Testament who when he realizes who Christ is, falls down and goes, depart from me, I'm unworthy. Depart from me, I'm unworthy. Peter, the one that gets everything wrong, gets one thing right. John, the apostle in the book of Revelation, sees the throne room of God and falls down in, the, in front of an angel. He falls down in front of an angel. He doesn't even see... God, he's so terrified of the angel that he falls down. Can you imagine if he had actually seen God? He might have exploded. He falls down and the angel says, don't worship, stand up, don't worship me, I'm just a messenger. And John goes, oh, 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 boy, you were scary. That's, that's the John Elkins remix. It's not in there. Don't look at it. Revelation 19, it's not there. Okay. 17. So here, one angel shows up and he finally gets to announce the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory. He finally gets to tell the world, Jesus has come, salvation is here, and he's super excited, and God sends him to a bunch of shepherds who are going to cower and be afraid. And they are afraid, rightfully so, in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. You wonder if the angels get tired of saying that. How often they have to tell us, don't be afraid. Or maybe they don't get, maybe they don't get surprised at it. Maybe they're like, you should be afraid. I'm an angel and I've got a big sword. Like maybe they should. Maybe they, maybe they don't get tired of it. Maybe they're like, yep, that's right, you did the right thing. Fear not. Maybe if somebody wasn't afraid, they'd just smite them and we wouldn't see them in the Bible. That's why we don't have those stories, maybe. I don't know. So you've got the shepherds and they, they, they are fear. And the angel says to them, fear not. And then he says, why? For... Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He's coming to shepherds who are Jewish in the field, in a Jewish region. This is no longer Gentile mixed region, Galilee. This is Judea. This is a Jewish 
population. And he says, I bring you good news of exceeding joy or great joy that will be for all the people. So the shepherds should key in immediately and go, oh boy, this is about the Jews being redeemed. The, the rescuer has come. The shepherds in the field, the political debaters who have coffee together, who are upset about Herod and Rome and Caesar and all these people, who are on night shifts so no one else is there to listen, so they've just got to rant and rave to people who agree. And they hear this message. This is good news of great joy for the people. And they go, yeah! We're going to win! This is what should be birthed in their heart. This is what they should be doing. And God here reminds us, who are these guys he's talking to? Shepherds. He's talking to shepherds. Not the people you would expect. I would have expected him to go to Herod, honestly. I would have expected him to go to the Roman legion, uh, to the Roman procurate. I would have expected him to have Mary being born, having Jesus being born in a, in a palace. Some circumstance worked out to where there would be this big kingly place. At least an inn. And yet God saw fit to do it this way. There's great reason for that. For all the people, we know that here in the scripture, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that salvation comes to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And in John chapter 4, verse 20, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that salvation comes from the Jews. She says, for the people. So this is good news and great joy for the people. The Jewish people's Messiah has come. And yes, this will extend beyond all, but that's not this part just yet. He says that here in verse 14. So here he says the content of the message then. So he says, here's the good news, great joy. And here it is, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the basic confession of Christianity. Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. It's the basic, the basic confession of Christianity. If you confess that, that is basic Christianity. That is the standard confession. This is the type of church that we will pray for. We will pray for churches that confess Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. There's thousands of nuances in those phrases. There's room in those phrases for theological discussion, debate, and, 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 and discourse. But the truth is, Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, must be at the center of all your theology. Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. So the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. So he's, he's acknowledging there's a prophecy that's being fulfilled here. There's two of them in particular. One, that Jesus would be born in the city of Bethlehem. And then two, that he would be of the line of David. That he'd be born of David's line. This is, this is, this is the king. The angel's going, the king has come. So I wonder, did he shout it? Or did he whisper it? The gravity of such a statement seems like it could have landed either way. The angel stands before these shepherds who are a little bit 
loose in the middle of the night and he says, the king is come. Or did he say, the king is coming? Which one? Can you imagine? He says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. A savior who is Christ the Lord. He gives a threefold dictation of who he is. One, he's savior. He is savior. He saves you from your sins and rescues you from sin. So if you... uh, You want to know what it means to be saved or delivered from sin and death? It means that you have trusted in Jesus Christ for your righteousness. He has provided for you righteousness. So when you stand before God the Father, you are clean and you are able to stand in heaven before the Lord, rescued from sin. You are free from sin. Second, he's Christ. He's the anointed one. And he's the anointed one in several ways. Um, There are multiple positions that were anointed positions. The three that should come to mind immediately are prophet, priest, and king. All three of those are anointed positions. Positions literally in the Old Testament that you were anointed to have with oil. Like I'm not saying that figuratively. I'm saying literally they would pour oil on the heads of these positions. Prophet, priest, and king. They were designated positions. So Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He stands as the king of kings in Revelation 17, verse 4. He's the high priest in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. He's the mediator and intercessor for us in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, and Hebrews 7, 25. And he is the prophet of God in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. He is the prophet, the voice of the Lord. So he is the prophet, the priest, and the king, and he has come. And the angel says, he's come for you. You get him, he's here. He, he has come. And then finally, he is Lord. So he's Savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord, or Master, or King, or Messiah. He is Lord. He is your Lord. In the Old Testament, the word Adonai, lowercase Lord, right? Not all uppercase. But I do believe that there's an instance here in which We are hearing the angel say something about the Lord, about Jesus, and I I believe that he is tying it to the name of Yahweh as well. That he is Lord, he is Yahweh, he is God in the flesh. And that then it says here in verse 12, he tells them how they'll recognize him. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So here we see, verse 12, their, their announcement, their, their sign, right? He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. I want you just to think about that for a minute. He's not wrapped in royal robes or in, uh, in plush blankets. He's wrapped in swaddling, what we would translate as swaddling rags, as rags. This is typical Hebrew custom. The, the baby would be born, the midwife would then take some, some rags or swaddle, you know, like, I, if you've ever had a kid in the hospital, they tell you how to do the burrito wrap, you know, you put the arm out and they wrap the arm and they can't move that arm and they get stuck there and then the other one gets stuck there and the kid is like this. Right? And, and they're happy like that. 
and they, well, they should be, and they, they're happy like that, and they, they're all tucked in, and they're all warmed up, and their little face is showing, and you've covered up everything except this, right, except this little, this face, and it's usually, that face is usually, and that's about it, just scrunched up tight, and eyes closed, and if they're warm, asleep, right? So this baby is wrapped in swaddling clothes, in rags. He's not wrapped in royal garments or robes. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And that is important because Jesus Christ is giving us an image of what he has actually done. The king of all glory has come to earth and put on swaddling clothes. He's put on flesh. He's put on skin. This God... Spirit beyond all reality that we possibly understand comes down and puts on skin. He wraps himself in skin that would be damaged and hurt. He can suddenly stub his toe. Jesus could suddenly cut himself on accident. He could be hurt. He could be beaten. He could be whipped. He could be scourged. He could he could get tired. He put on skin. I think we forget that sometimes about Christ. That that in John chapter 4 it says, And he was thirsty and tired. It was the middle of the day and weary. He sat down by a well. He was tired. He got sad. He felt emotions the way you and I do. John 10, he, he comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And weeps with Mary when he sees her. He feels empathy and sadness when he sees the Greeks coming. He feels sadness for them. He, when, the, when the Samaritans come out to greet him, after he's shared with the Samaritan woman, he turns to his disciples and goes, Oh, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field because the harvest is ripe. And you've got to imagine he's near weeping when he says it. Look at this. No one's taking care of him. The leper comes to him and he's overwhelmed by him. Jesus put on skin. He felt the same feelings and pains and hard things that you do. He cried as a baby. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He had to be picked up and fed. He had to have his diaper changed. I know, somebody's going to write me an email. They probably didn't use diapers. I didn't look that part up. He, he had to do things that were, that were normal for us. He put on swaddling clothes. So he's, he comes to these shepherds and he says, Look, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a trough, in a food trough. Understand what he's saying to the shepherds. The Messiah has come and guess what? He's just like you. The Messiah has come. And guess what? He came to you. Can you imagine what it would have been like if the shepherds were told, um, in order to see the Messiah, you're going to have to stand in a line, uh, climb, um, climb all the steps of the throne, the, the castle, and then kneel at the top and bow and pay your, pay your due to get in to see the Messiah. And then maybe you'll get a moment to see him. Indeed, that's what 
The Catholic Church did for centuries, right? You want to see Jesus, you got to climb these steps, pray on each one, and get to the top, and then you pay your indulgence, and maybe you'll get to see him. Or, or maybe, maybe they say to him, hey, you know what you need to do to see, maybe the angel says, this will be a sign to you if you pray five times a day facing this certain direction and give alms to the poor and you live a good enough life and you, you live perfectly as, as best you can without any error or sin in you, maybe then, maybe then you'll get to see him. Maybe then you'll get to see him for a moment. Or maybe, maybe it was, Maybe, maybe they, they could have said something like, the, the king of all glory is behind these throne room doors and you have to come to the throne room doors and petition Herod and the Roman procurate to let you come behind the doors so that you can have the secret knowledge and see him. No, that's not what God does. God says, I put him out in a shed where you shepherds who have no rights, no legal prowess or ability or money or financial means, you get to see Him. You get to see Him. And the lowly and the poor are interrupted and given grace while the elite and wealthy are ignored. And the King of Glory is open for all to see. You don't have to climb steps to see Jesus. You don't have to do everything perfectly to see Jesus. All you have to do is go look. He's there. He came. Normal people get to see Jesus. You don't have to learn Greek and Hebrew because he, he made the effort. God made the effort to preserve his word in your language. You don't have to, you don't have to do those things. He is for you. He is present and he is there. And you can see him and know him. Note the disparity here between the kings of the world and Jesus. If I want to see the president, well, number one, I won't be able to. But if I wanted to, I'd have to go to a big rally or some big thing, and I'd have to stand back, I'd have to be approved, I'd have, a, I'd have to be check, checklisted, waitlisted, I'd have to buy the ticket, I'd have to stand way, way back, and maybe I'd get a glimpse of him on stage. Jesus is in a manger, in a food trough, in a shed, and the shepherds get to walk in. No guards, nothing. In fact, they get a heavenly chorus escort. They get a heavenly chorus escort with them. All heaven suddenly wants to jump into the announcement. And this is where I think the story gets kind of funny. Because Gabriel is giving the announcement, and you've got to imagine he's having a hard time holding the choir back. He's giving the announcement, and he gives the announcement, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Glory to God in the highest! Everybody starts singing. And he's like, guys, wait, you're cute. Come on. I, this was my moment, right? And they, they yell and scream, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. They, they just jump in. Everybody jumps in. And I think that this is the truth. When we see that Jesus Christ has come to the lowest common denominator and has let himself be made known to shepherds, to the bottom, to us, to me, and to you, not particularly valuable, 
or, or particularly unique or special, but God's people, all of a sudden, heaven wants to break out in song. And I don't know if you've ever been there when you're in a worship service and they're singing some song and you just want to join in and yell and you don't know the words, so what happens is you go, Yeah! And everybody looks at you weird. Except for those other people who get it. This is what's going on here. The angels get it. And they jump in and they praise the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Now this idea of the highest here is not glory to the God most high, as in elevated, but God of heaven. God who is in the heavens. Glory to God who is in the heavens, in the highest. He's in the highest place. He's in the heavens. And that's important because God of the heavens has come down to swaddling clothes and has come down to shepherds. God of the heavens has come down to shepherds, to you and to me. And some translations read, and on earth peace and goodwill among men. Both of those are valid translations. They say essentially the same thing. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's just another way of saying his people. Because God is not pleased because of some intrinsic value or good that you have done in yourself. But he is pleased with you because you are his. That's what that's indicating. That you are his. And oh, if you are his. Hear this, Christian. If you are his, he is pleased to have you as his. He is pleased because you are his. I think the best way to think of that is I have four children. I am happy that they are my kids. Even when I am not happy with their behavior, I am happy that they are my kids. They are mine. Even when they have taken my cookie and eaten it, I am happy that they are my kids. Because I love them. They're mine. God is the same. They are. They're his. You are his people. And he is pleased because you are his. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven. you got to wonder how long that moment was. The angels go away. And the guy is still looking at the wine going, what's, it? what's in this? What's, what's in this? And the others are, did you see that? What just happened? And then you got the one that nobody can understand. I was pretty understand. Saw it. And they're all excited. And the guy with the wine's like, I guess it wasn't a hallucination. And puts it down. And they go, What, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the one that has the rational thought, Well, let's go see. Like, let's, let's go. What do you mean, what are we going to do? And they start walking. And they go. And they go to heaven. Now the angels are gone. They're gone. I'll, all the, all, the, all the pomp, all the, all the sound, all the lights, all that remains is what they have seen in their head. That's all that remains of that heavenly chorus, is what they can remember that has been played out in their mind. Often, and then they had to walk from the field to, to Bethlehem. They're outside Bethlehem, and they'll walk to Bethlehem. I imagine that took some time, maybe not a lot of time, but some time. And as they're walking, 
all that they have to go on is what has been burned into their mind. The appearance of an angel and the message of Christ that has been burned into their mind. Sometimes we're the same way. We've got this walk from one place to another in life, and all that we can do is remember those times we've met with God. Don't you think that one of them was like, I wish the angels had stuck around to tell us what shed he's in. Like, one of them had to be like, which way are we going? I mean, Bethlehem's not a small town. It's not a big town, but it's definitely, I mean, like, there's houses. There's different sheds. There's lots of sheds. Where are we going to go? You got the one that's, you know, strong, strong-willed, who's just starting walking. He's just going to walk. And you're just going to follow him, and you're going to be like, hey, slow down, hey, hey, slow down, hey, slow down, hey! Let him go by himself, right? Like this, and they, they're trying to get there, and, and they got to walk. Just imagine for a moment what that was like, how exuberant and excited they must have been, and how filled with joy they must have been, and yet all they could, they could have, all they had in their head was that, that image that was burned in their head. And sometimes I tell you our Christian walk is the same way, There's an image that we must cling to of when we've met with God. The shepherds begin to walk, and they walk into the town. When the angels had left, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. It led in on the conversation. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. We're not told how long that took. We just know that they felt the urgency to see the king. They felt the urgency to see the king in verse 17. And when they saw it, the manger and the baby and Mary and Joseph, that's the it. When they saw it, the scene, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Everyone feels the weight. Everyone feels the weight of glory when the message is declared and shared here. Everyone feels the weight. And then it says, but Mary, contrast, Mary treasured these things, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary feels the weight differently. The shepherds and everybody's excited and they're all geared up and and they're geeking out. They're just super excited to see the King of Glory and Mary thinks about what this means. She ponders in her heart and I think that we we should grab a hold of this truth that there is a deep, deep, profound reality that has landed in Jesus' coming to the lowly of love. To a teenage betrothed girl to a carpenter, a poor carpenter, to a shepherd, to a stable. There's this deep, profound reality, and it means that the kingdom of God is not what we thought it was. You see, the Jews thought that the kingdom of God meant that the Romans were going to be expelled, and they were going to have their place in history. And what we see with Jesus coming is that everyone is suddenly let in and Gentiles can be forgiven and life is brought and the kings of this world are inconsequential compared to the kingdom of heaven. 
It's not even a war. It's not even a fight. Did you read the last book? There's not a fight. Like the, the armies of the world gather to face off against the Lamb of God. And the Lamb lands on a hill and it's over. Sit. Done. He comes down and lands and the war is done. And every knee suddenly bows and every tongue suddenly confesses Jesus Christ is Lord. It's over. That's not a, that's not a battle. That's not a Lord of the Rings scene. Like it's not... It's, it's not, it's not, it's just, he shows up and it's done. It's like when my kid decides to fight me. All right, bed. It's done. They're small. Bed, right? It's not. The shepherds then return to their field. Mary, feeling the weight of these things, treasuring them up in her heart. And the shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. When we are confronted by Christ, when we are redeemed and rescued by Jesus Christ, we are brought to a place not where we cease to do what we do on this earth. It's, if, you are a, uh, if you are a cabinet maker and you get saved by the Lord, guess what you're going to do tomorrow? Make cabinets. If you're a, a worker, a, a night shift worker, and you get redeemed by the Lord, guess what you're going to do tomorrow? You're going to be on night shift. It's what you do. And yet, everything is completely different. Everything is completely the same, but everything has changed. And why has everything changed? Not because your circumstances are changed. Not Rome is still in power and still oppressing the Jews. Not because... You're suddenly in a kingdom where the king is ruling physically right here and you can ask him to solve all your problems. Not because of that, but because you have been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ and his presence in your life. And so suddenly watching sheep in the middle of the night looks different to you even though to the world around you it looks the exact same. Suddenly going to work at 5 a.m. is the same thing you've done for years and yet because Jesus is with you now it's different all of a sudden everything has changed and yet nothing has changed the shepherds meet Jesus and then go back to work in the same way we meet and see Jesus and we are called now to go back to work with the knowledge and truth that there's a Savior who rescues this world from sin and saves us and redeems us. And all of a sudden, our work is suddenly different. Suddenly different.